0: Anxious to get into a new uh, series today, a series in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a red letter Bible and you open to Matthew chapter 5 you're going to see a lot of red. (laughs) And that's the the words of Jesus in some Bibles are in red, they're not in mine. Uh, But Matthew in my Bible is about right here. It's going to be about three quarters of the way through your, your Bible. Uh, it's the beginning, Matthew is the beginning of what we call the New Testament, which is uh, the stories of Jesus and everything since then and letters for the churches. We see a lot of that in the, in the New Testament. And so uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And so the next several weeks and months we'll be studying through this. These are very famous teachings that Jesus gives and we've decide, I've decided uh, to call this series Living Like a Christian. A little bit more about that uh, later. But for today, I'll read these six verses and then we'll get going. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven... Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. All right, some of that we've already heard uh, today. Some of that we have not our first series, first in the series today of living like a Christian, deep down, desiring something else. We're going to think deep inside of ourselves today. We'll think about our desires. And I hope that these words this morning uh, and these verses will begin a process of, of challenging the very depths of who we are as people and what we want in this world and how we live. Okay now I'm gonna make an admission. Uh, I have an illustration in the beginning of this that is once again about sports. I did a sports illustration to start last Sunday so I promise that next Sunday I will not do that. I actually use this sports illustration because it's utterly ridiculous. All right. So if you like utterly ridiculous uh, things, and <laughs> you're going to get one in a minute, uh, I was amused uh, last week. I, I told several people uh, that no one in our church cared about Tom Brady. All right, and that was kind of fun when every hand went up, and I said, "Who doesn't care about Tom Brady?" <laughs> and almost every hand went up. So I, that that was a, a blessing. It just amused me when that happened in the service last week. Okay. So this is not about football. This is about basketball. Uh, One of the best-known moments in the history of Cleveland sports, of course, is the 2016 NBA championship for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, uh, I want to uh, read a paragraph, uh, just not a paragraph, maybe even just a couple sentences, and I found this description of what happened to be utterly ridiculous. It's along the theme of being fulfilled, we're going, to, uh, we're going to think about desires. We're going to think about our, this world and the things this world has for us, where we seek fulfillment, where we seek meaning. And so I want you to listen to these couple sentences. This was written several years uh, after the championship in remembrance of it. Here's what it says. From Calvary Cemetery in Cleveland to Akron General Hospital, the spirit of every soul ever born to the land of Northeast Ohio, smiled proudly on its favorite son. On June 19, 2016, the kid from Akron had made them all champions. Isn't that the most ridiculous couple of sentences that you have ever heard in your life? I thought, you got to be kidding me. Every, the spirit of every soul born to the land of Northeast Ohio. Doubtful, all right? Uh, Many people don't care about LeBron James. I won't go for a show of hands on that. Um, I I, I did that this morning because sometimes uh, in my life or in our collective lives, we we put a lot of stock into uh, sports and we want to see our teams do well. And it might be other things. It might be other ways that we look for fulfillment. Uh, but I thought that, genera- that uh, general description there would be a contrast to what Jesus is going for in the Sermon on the Mount. So these first, this first section is what is known as the Beatitudes. In the Old Testament we have the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments tells us what not to do Jesus, in addressing his disciples, gives clear instruction on what to do. All right, When we see the word blessed, 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 uh, from the Greek that can also mean happy. Uh, this is a way to have a state of being that is blessed by God, that is happy in a relationship with God... And so today I just decided to do the first six. I thought, hey, let's get this series going. Uh, We'll probably pull on some of these themes as we finish the Beatitudes next week. But I wanted to walk through starting in in verse 3 and just a little summary about some of these powerful statements that Jesus makes. A blessed life. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A blessed life is lowly. Think about this at Christmas time. One of the Christmas carols is infant holy, infant lowly. The whole idea of God himself coming down from heaven and to this earth for you and for me. It's it's a lowering. God lowered himself and became like one of us. We spent some time recently in Philippians chapter 2 And it says this about Jesus, that he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. It's a a lowly thing that Jesus did in showing us that he would come here. And so this teaching, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We we hear this encouragement from Jesus and we feel a lowering, a poor in spirit. Now, I want to compare this with what Jesus said as Luke recorded it in Luke chapter 6. Luke is just a different author who is summarizing some of the same events, some of the same teachings, uh, some different uh, of Jesus. And and here is what Jesus uh, said Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not trying to create confusion. Uh, It's likely that Jesus is referring to, to both. All right, just because you may not have a whole lot materially uh, doesn't mean that you don't fit in our church. doesn't mean you don't fit in God's kingdom. Uh, that's not the point at all. This says blessed. This says happy are the poor. And so it's not just a, a material poverty. It, the way Matthew records it is a poor in spirit. And what's the, what's the encouragement? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For theirs is is the kingdom of heaven. A lot of times we think of the kingdom of heaven and we think about forever and forever and we go to heaven and we will be with Jesus forever. And that's one way to understand the kingdom of heaven. But another way to understand the kingdom of God is is here in Luke 17. Being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, well, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there For behold, and I put this in bold for us, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And so if we want to be a part of God's kingdom, which is expanding uh, an impoverished spirit, a poor spirit, an orientation toward God that I can't, I can't bring anything to God. Um, The Jewish readers that Matthew is addressing may likely have been um, poor in spirit because of the sin of their people. Uh, we'll get to some more of that in a minute. But it's a spirit that lacks and will feel this tension that there's really no way for us to manufacture good feelings. A poor in spirit about our own sin, a poor in spirit, knowing that uh, we can resolve that here on this earth by joining the kingdom of heaven, by committing our lives to Jesus and being a part of God's work. And then uh, the tension that it ultimately are poor in spirit won't be resolved until uh, we are with Jesus forever. All right, so sense that overtone, sense that tension of being poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, next couple of verses, 4 and 5. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the meek a blessed life is lowly a blessed life generates deep faith so we think about poor in spirit uh, for a minute I'll build a bridge in a second but a lot of times american christians who are used to a certain standard of living will marvel at the faith of people in other countries that that are in destitution. And they don't have a whole lot, but they love Jesus so much. we will say, wow, those people, look look at their spirit. That's that's the idea. Think about mourning in the same way. Is there comfort in our mourning? That's what it says. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, in the Christmas narrative that we see in Matthew, uh, we see the prophecy that Jesus would save his people from their sins. Wow, we see that in Matthew chapter 1, that he would save the people from their sins. And so again, it's possible that these readers would be mourning the failure of Israel and Judah, the split kingdom, the, the downward spiral, the kingdom of Judah lasted a little bit longer. And the inability once they came back from a 70-year exile to establish anything lasting in the land. They may be mourning that at this point. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You may be in a spot today where you can look back in your life and you can think about the things that you've done, things that you have hurt yourself or hurt others, and it... It just lowers you, and you, and you or things that you know have offended God. And what does this say? It says, blessed are those who mourn that. We want to walk and enter into that space in a relationship with God, not full of ourselves and what we're bringing, but a posture of mourning. The same way with meekness. Blessed are the meek. We don't use that word a lot. It's a word that means gentle. And look at what it says. For they shall inherit the earth. A lot of times we think those that control the earth or have possession of the earth are the ones that have the most power and the most ability to exert and to maintain that control in a political or geographical or governmental sense. But Jesus says those that will inherit the earth are the meek. And and meekness, in this sense, is, is a choice of recognizing that there is earthly power which can be pursued, but stays away from that, knowing that the kingdom of God instead is working in our hearts, changing us from the inside, and that that is how we grow. That's how God's kingdom expands. It's why we don't see Jesus strategizing with the disciples to take over government and institutions. God's work is what happens inside. But, but because there's a, an ultimate fulfillment tone to these blessed states where we're experiencing God's work in us now, it also helps us to look forward to what God will complete in the future. We see Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A lot of commentators believe that Psalm 37 makes that connection into the future. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. A lot of people who study the Bible will make a connection with this psalm, uh, written hundreds of years before Jesus and to make a connection about uh, not only Jesus' first coming and our position of meekness toward our world, but also toward forever and ever. The meek. Right? And, and so why did I say that this generates deep faith? Right? Because we don't bring a lot of force to the table. We don't bring a lot of our own resource. When we're mourning, we're in weakness, and a lot of times our, our bodies are run down. Think about a season of grief, perhaps, that you've walked through in your life. Your your physical body is run down. Your emotions are run down. You don't bring a ton to that phase. You're mourning. Meekness is not about outward power and look at what this person has conquered and look at all the authority they exert over others. It's a gentleness that stays and willingly stays back from that. So a blessed life generates deep faith. It's a reliance upon God acknowledging our state. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Does candy satisfy? Well, I mean, it depends, right? Depend- is, are you talking about 15 minutes? About thirty minutes. Will candy satisfy for a little bit? Sure. But it's sugar. Is it ultimately going to satisfy? Now, what is the one line? Snickers really satisfies, right? <laughs> oh, maybe that'll last a little bit longer before the rest of it burns off. If we really want a meal to last and to satisfy, we're going to get a balanced meal and put a meal in. Kids, are you hungry? Who's mad at Caleb for not giving you any candy? (laughs) I'll stir it up. Dennis is, alright, we've got some adults that aren't happy either. Caleb, you might have a little bit of work to do afterwards here, buddy. Uh, (laughs) Here's the way I thought about this. I want somebody who is really feel like they're getting the point of this. I'm going to put up a picture. Oh, no, here's the point first. right, we want a blessed life wants different things, is what it wants. right. We want God ultimately. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We'll be satisfied. We want a life with God. We want a life his way. And so what I want here on this illustration, here's your picture. You see a five-dollar bill and a one-dollar bill. Those of you viewing from home might be able to see that a little better than than I have a, a five and I have a one. And what I want is I want somebody who thinks they're really getting this message to raise your hand. All right, Patty, come on up here. Patty's quick. All right. In the spirit of what Jesus is teaching us and what the world offers us, what would you you pick? Would you pick the five or would you pick the one in the spirit of this message? She picked the one. You can keep that. Get a, get a hot dog off the roller at Circle K for a dollar. I'm not sure you can even do that anymore. Why did she pick the dollar? Great job, Patty. Why did she pick the dollar? Right, now, the world will offer us a lot of things. Nobody's getting the five, so just tame it down right now. Okay? Tame it down. The world offers us a lot of things that feel good, a lot of experiences that are exciting and fun. Will any of those things really last? Will any of those things really satisfy? You're shaking your heads, no, you get this. It's the same way candy won't satisfy, the same way as a a meal would satisfy, but a meal is still going to burn off, and it won't satisfy. What What we're finding out in what Jesus says is a blessed life ...isn't because it has the most things or the most money or the most experiences or the best meal or the best this or that... ...a blessed life is a lowly life that generates deep faith from positions where faith is required. That's our, if that's our orientation toward God, then we're going to want what God wants all the time. Oh God, the sin in my life. Oh God, the sin in our nation or in our city. Oh, we're just so we cry out to you. We want righteousness... We want a satisfaction that will last longer than than what people are seeking. Oh, God, forgive me for making that stupid mistake and saying that hurtful thing or doing that thing I never should have done. That's not going to satisfy. It won't do it. God, I want your, your peace. I want your presence in my life. We hunger for God. How does this say, deep down, that we are satisfied? That we're lined up in a relationship with God. We trust Jesus alone. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think Caleb used the phrase, right living. It's one way to understand righteousness. Another way we're going to understand it here in the Sermon on the Mount. In a couple of weeks, we'll get later in chapter 5. Uh, but we'll see righteousness as a relationship with God as well, a, a sense of justice in our relationship with God. that we want those things. When we pursue that we hunger for that, then we will find satisfaction. And it's why people can find satisfaction in this world, no matter how much they have materially. Yes. Now we're on to something. Deep down, our desires can be changed by God in the sense that we begin to hunger for His truth, for His ways. But a blessed life simply wants different things. What do you want today? It's a great question. Normally, as I walk through a passage and I outline things, I will put the verse numbers so uh, we know which verses. (laughs) And you might think this is a little bit backwards, but I'm going to go back to the beginning of the chapter. Uh, Seeing the crowds, I want you to pay attention to the focus of this message. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Who is Jesus teaching? His disciples. A blessed life isn't lived by everyone. Jesus didn't teach this to the masses. Now if you're listening today or you're here in this room and you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus, these words can certainly instruct you. God's truth is always good. Whether you're in a position, a posture a belief or not, it works. His principles work. His truth works. And so perhaps these principles today and next week will, will help you understand uh, what faith is. But I want to challenge you. Disciples, the disciples that Jesus called and the disciples that are in view here, the ones that are, uh, are, he is training and teaching, are the ones who are committed to him. Do I really want something deep down? Now, I'm not trying to to get you to be afraid today to say, oh, man, well... Am I really a believer? Do I really believe in Jesus or not? Kevin gave this challenge and now I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. I'm not trying to say that at all. But let this, if nothing else, let this draw us deeper. Let this challenge us. Let this think about what our desires at the depths of who we are, our spirit, our orientation toward other people. If it's always complaining, if it's always judgmental, if it's always what's wrong with everybody else, if we're always that way, Let's let's have these words confront us and challenge us and lower us in our posture before God. Let us change what we think will satisfy and let us ask instead for a hunger and a thirst. I hope this draws us deeper. I hope we feel a gentle conviction, a love of God, the Holy Spirit, pointing out areas where we're not aligned. This is for all of us. We want to to follow Jesus. We want to be his disciples. But I can't say this strongly enough. It's not for everyone. You can't just say a prayer and go on doing whatever you want and expect this kind of truth to really saturate your life to where you're living in a different way. Our series title is Living Like a Christian. These verses help us to evaluate that. And it's the, the disciples that that Jesus said this to, uh, it wasn't just for their own benefit. They were to, we're going to see it in the section following the Beatitudes, it says salt and light right here. Go and be salt and light and take this message outward. It's our posture toward God. It's our posture toward others as well. Now, you may notice that, um, at the very bottom, and you may have noticed on the title slide, there's uh, like some, some gray colored balls. It's like a ball pit. You go to the arcade or the, the fun place and you dive in there and you lose your uh, whatever in the, in the ball pit. I think that happened on the youth thing last Sunday. It's kind of funny. Uh, anyway, uh, maybe it wasn't funny, but that's all right. Uh, I'm laughing right now. But you have the blue one. It's kind of sticking out, and this is the idea. There's a lot of ways out there that people say to be a Christian. And I hope that this series will filter that down for us and we will really be challenged from our our inner standpoint of our relationship with God and how that comes out and how people see us. Uh, I know I'm going to be challenged studying through this. So pray for me. Pray that God would continue to give wisdom and leadership. We want him to be the one who's leading our lives. We want to live like followers of Jesus Christ. And I hope that this series will be that challenge, not only for you uh, and for me, but here's here's a challenge then. do we want these words to shape and, and form our lives? I hope so. And why? Because because we want God to bless our lives, that I'm willing to have less in this life, maybe less um, time or less material possessions or whatever it is, less of a, a worldly affirmation, but more of God more of hungering and thirsting for him, a blessed life, a lowly spirit at times, Uh, our orientation toward God in this world, hungering for God and his presence. We want these truths to change us.